Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one that is here today. We thank you for our missionary who was here during the Sunday school time. Lord, we just ask now that you would take our worship service and apply our hearts to worship your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to look at a few other verses before we get there, but just keep your attention there. I'll read you the verses from the other passages. Hebrews chapter 6 has been noted by some as one of the most confusing chapters in the Bible, but if you just simply read the words that are there and put it in the context with what the Bible says, you'll find that uh, the issues that are dealt with here are really no more complex than anywhere else in the Bible. It's just all the things that we try to read into it. But one of the great battles of our day, one of the great things that are going on, and, and we don't always have to deal with great issues, but uh, you know the difference between a minor issue and a great issue, don't you? A minor issue is something that's happening in someone else's heart and mind. A major issue is something that's going on in your own. Amen? It's just like surgery. Uh, if someone else is having a surgery, that's fine. If I'm having one, that's a big deal. Uh, and uh, if you've ever had to lay on that table waiting for doctors to cut you open and fix things, I'll tell you what, that's... Uh, I don't care what, how minor it is. It's not a little issue. It is very, very serious. And one of the great things going on in hearts and lives today is this idea of just simply being overwhelmed by what's going on in the world around us. And people are quitting today. They are giving up. They're saying... Why do I fight the battles that, need, uh, that we're fighting here? Why do we argue about these things? Uh, let me explain a few things that have gone on. When I was a student in Bible college, and it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, uh, I graduated 23 years ago. And, uh, but while I was a student there, one of the issue of the day was this Bible. Which Bible do we use? Which text do we use? Uh, I, I want to uh, just make a simple statement, not to discourage you, but that battle's been lost. As far as the majority of people who use the name Christian. Now, let me explain something to you. God's churches have always used God's Word. And will always continue to use God's Word. But even today, there's some churches, as always has been, and we'll touch on this in a little bit, to read in the letters to the churches in Revelation, Jesus had an awful lot of criticism of what was going on in those churches. And here was the end uh, of that conversation. He told the church at Ephesus, if you don't return and do the first works, return to your first love, I'm going to take your candlestick out of the holder. He didn't say, I'm going to take your building away. He didn't say, I'm going to remove your, I'm going to kill your pastor in the pulpit. I mean, he's going to die right there. And that's going to be the end of your church. All of those things continued on. In fact, they kept having services at the church in Ephesus. The history records us. Uh, records for us that it was an active, involved church in the five and six hundreds. And that it continued meeting until the Muslim invasion came in and destroyed the, any remnants of Christianity that they possibly could. There was still a church at Ephesus. But my question was, is for you today, was it a church? Or was it just a place where people met and called it church? Unfortunately... For the last several hundred years of that church's existence, it was just a place where people met, and they called it church. 
We're in transition today. We're seeing churches that once were in the candlestick position, once were showing forth the light of the Word of God. And because of changes that they have made and decisions that they have made as a church, they're in the process of having that candle removed from the candlestick. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more discouraging to me as a pastor as to see churches that were once great, once preached the gospel. This is what we mean by great. We don't necessarily mean they have to have lots of people there. But what is going on in the realm of churches is also going on in the lives of individuals. Just stepping back a little from the truth. And this morning I want to preach on he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now that sounds confusing, doesn't it? Let me read you the entire verse. I just want you to listen closely. I'm going to read about six verses here. Matthew 10, 22, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Matthew 24, 13, But he that it shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Revelation 2.26, just in case you wanted to explain this away by making it a tribulational truth. Revelation chapter 2 is in the churches. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Hebrews 6.11, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Now many people have taken these verses and they try to teach that your salvation is dependent upon what you do. That if somehow you back away, if you turn your back on Christ, if you somehow decide that you've had enough of your Christianity, you get overwhelmed with the world that you can actually separate yourself from Christ and lose your salvation. I wish we had time. I'll give you a homework assignment this morning. Go home and read Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen? So where do we, how do we reconcile these verses where Jesus said, listen, unless you endure until the end, you're going to lose your salvation. Well, we go to Hebrews chapter 6 and it explains to us how we endure to the end. Let me just give you a, a little illustration. This is ground that we cover so often, but if we're not careful, we'll lose sight of the simplest truths that are in God's Word, and then we get discouraged, then we get overwhelmed, and then we step, try to step back from what God would have us to do. Now, the only one who's going to suffer when that happens is you and the church you're a member of. And so we, we look here, how many of us have sinned since last Sunday morning? Okay, everyone that's awake, raise their hand. If you just woke up in the middle of that and raise their hands as well. Every one of us has. Now, if your salvation was dependent upon you enduring to the end, you just lost it this week. That's not very encouraging now, is it? But your salvation isn't dependent upon what you do, is it? It's dependent upon what Jesus Christ has done. Three greatest words in history. Can we just say them again? It is finished. Could we say it like you mean it this morning? Could we try that? It is finished. Amen? 
When Jesus finished the work on the cross, He paid the price for every sin that was ever sinned. It's not because you keep yourself in some special way that you keep your salvation. It's because of the finished work of Christ. How do we endure unto the end? Let's start our reading here in verse 9 of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to go right through the end of the chapter. For But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though thus we speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner for us is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we look at these verses, and there are some very complex things. Uh, If you'll remember when we went through the book of Hebrews, I think we spent probably about 12 or 14 weeks going through the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. There is just so much here. Now, since we don't have 14 weeks before uh, 1230 this morning, uh, we're going to try to abbreviate some of that just a little bit. But in the first eight verses of this chapter, the writer of Hebrews is helping us understand something. You cannot lose your salvation. But if you could, it would be impossible for you to get it back, for Jesus would have to go through the process of dying on the cross again, something that will never, ever be repeated. And then he goes on to talk to these Hebrew believers and explain to them that, number one, you need to remember something in this battle we call life. God will not forget you. Amen? Sometimes when we walk through the darker side of life, when we get into trials and tribulations, when, when life is not working the way we want to, when we are frustrated, the easiest thing for us to do is turn our attention to the things that are bothering us. It's that person I work with. It's that crazy, maniacal boss. It's Obama. It's the Republicans. The number one issue of our day is sodomite marriage, and that's what it ought to be called because that's what it is. But they're trying to pass laws so you can't say things like that. Listen, none of those things are the issue. The issue is being able to get up tomorrow morning and use your life to serve Jesus Christ. 
That's the issue. You say, but how do I get past this guy at work? I mean, everything I do, he just mocks, he makes fun of me, he laughs at everything that is Christian every time. Wait a minute. God has not and never will and is not capable of forgetting that he saved you. Amen? Jesus, God used the example in the book of Isaiah, I believe it is, it says a mother can forget her child. But God will never forget you. Let's read through that verse. It says, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I, I, I think God called me to preach and, and I think that He wants me to serve Him, but I, I, I'm just growing weary and I'm tired and, and I'm not even sure I'm saved and I'm not this and that. And said, so now wait a minute, you've just spent the last five minutes talking about you. You are the problem. Get your attention on God and those problems won't be so big anymore. Amen? God's not going to forget. I've had people say, well, Pastor, I think God called me to preach, but it must have been a joke. I said, do you think the devil is going to call you to preach? Do you think the devil is going to give you the desire to serve God faithfully in his church? No. That desire to be a servant of God is from God. And guess what? Full-time Christian service is not just for the pastor. It's for the church secretary, too. It's for the janitor. Peter's a janitor at Southwest in Oklahoma now. Guess what? The reason I use those two is because we have part-time secretary and part-time janitor now, so I'm not the only one on staff anymore. But you know what? Full-time Christian service is for every person who names the name of Jesus Christ. Why do you work your job? So you can serve Christ. I'm glad people work. They put their tithes and offerings, and we can support missionaries. If things continue as they are, and our missions giving continues, we will have increased a higher percentage this year than in any year of our church's history. Now, that's when the economy's had this big downturn and everybody else is this, and yes, there are people that have lost their jobs and have had reduced income, and there's a lot of suffering going on. But I'll tell you what, God is using His people right here to have the largest increase in our missions giving in the history of our church. You see, God hasn't forgotten, amen? We need to remember that God is not going to forget. But, let's look at the next verse. Verse 11 says, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. It says, listen, don't allow that desire to serve God, that understanding of the things that God has for your life, don't let that fall by the wayside. So much of serving God in, is, I hate to put it this way because people think it's, we're trivializing the issue. So much of serving God is just showing up. What can you do to serve God? What does God need you to do? He's the all-powerful. He's the omnipotent. God doesn't need you to help him understand what's happening. Amen? 
My children all the time make it as they grow up when they're little babies, it's kind of fun. They don't talk back. Uh, but then they get saying their first little words and it's always exciting and except you know what's coming. But they begin to repeat everything you say and, and it's amazing. Uh, people ask and say, well, why do you bring babies to church and little children to church? Well, you would not believe what those little children say when they get old enough to talk if they've been in church consistently all their... It's going in there. It's important to put God's Word down deep in that soul. That doesn't guarantee your child's going to serve God. But they're going to get it. But then they get a little older and they start this thing and, and we call it in, in our family the restatement of the obvious. You're standing there looking at something. In fact, uh, we, I was printing yesterday trying to get the printing press to cooperate, and I'm standing there looking at it, trying to figure out why it isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And I can't remember which one of the little ones came in, saw me staring at. The press is broke. I know that. If you could only tell me what's wrong, I would fix it. And so often... We get in that state with God. We want to go to God and we say, Listen, God, it's broke. You don't understand. It's not working. Um, God knows that. He is well aware. And He's not only well aware that it's not working, He knows why it's not working, and He knows how to fix it. Just... Be quiet and remember God hasn't forgotten you. Show up. My prayer when we started this church was that, dear God, keep me from doing something stupid so I can be here long enough to see you work. God answered that prayer. But you know what my prayer needs to be today? God, please keep me from doing something stupid so I can stay here long enough to watch you work. You know what your prayer needs to be about tomorrow? Lord, please help me not to do something stupid so I can see you work. Amen? Now, I know that's a little on the rude side and crude side of saying things, but it puts it down where you understand what we're talking about. Amen? And see, the next verse, in verse 12, it goes on, says, that ye be not slothful. It is so easy to take a break today, isn't it? We often joke when we're working on the building. This is a union shop. Time to take your 10 o'clock coffee break. Well, then you have to take your in-between breaks. Now it's lunch break. Now it's early afternoon break. Now it's the break before quitting time. Oh, well, we didn't get anything done today. Let's go home. Sometimes it feels like that. But it's so easy to take a break today. I mean, what is it McDonald's used to say? You deserve a break today. But do you really want to break yourself? Don't go to McDonald's, amen? Um, listen. We're told that you need rest. And you know what you do. But the kind of rest you need is not the kind of rest you think you need. How many of you have tried to, I just, I'm going to take a vacation, I'm going to take a break, and all I'm going to do is sleep. Anybody ever tried that? 
what happens. First day, it works pretty good till about 3 o'clock in the morning. Hey, I'm awake. I can't go back. I don't even feel tired. And you get your body clock all goofed up so that when you come back and try to go to work, it takes you a month to straighten things out again. You see, that's not the kind of rest you need. You need the kind of rest that's talked about in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. As God rested from His works, you need to rest from yours. Stop trying to figure out how God's going to straighten everything out. Every time I turn on the news, it's... The government's taken over some new segment of our society today. It, it, is, it is depressing. I never understood how so much could happen so wrong so quickly. And if I begin to think about all these things, I'll tell you what, I get discouraged. And then I get papers and, and media from Christian organizations and I get one from a group called the Baptist Bible Fellowship, and I went to a college that was uh, uh, sponsored by that group of preachers. In fact, I used to be the treasurer for the New York State Baptist Bible Fellowship when I was very young in the ministry. And, and today I read about the Baptist Bible Fellowship starting new churches. The church, or no, Crossroads is the name of the church. Now, can I ask you a question? What does that tell you about what's going on in that building? Absolutely nothing, except they don't know where they're going. Isn't that what it tells you? Crossroads? Crossroads is different directions. I mean, they don't know where they're going. Listen, I know that what they're trying to do, they're trying to market their ability as, we're a place where you find directions. But how many of you have ever been to the crossroads and taken the wrong turn? I mean, that's what I do every time. If someone does, if it's not written down, I, I often ask my wife, I say, which way do we go? Because it doesn't matter even if I think in my head and say, I'm going to choose the wrong direction, so I'll go the right direction, I still choose the wrong direction. It never works. We got a name out there that I pray, will mean something to someone who passes by and reads it. Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Our doors are open. Anyone that wants to be a part of the service can walk in. And by the way, we go to the verse that's on the doors there. It's Jesus that opened the doors. Amen? That's who we're looking to. But... We are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching. We want to be as Bible-living as we possibly can, Baptist church. Amen? There's responsibility here. If you're a member of this church, and this is something, it says, be not slothful, we, we need our members to be here. Amen? We need our members to participate. We need our members to do what you can do. You say, all I can do is sweep the floor. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd really appreciate it when we're working on the building in a few weeks, we're going to start tearing up this side. Come sweep the floor. That'll give more time to fix the walls. Amen? You say, all I can do is, is run errands. Hey, if I had the time that I spent going back and forth to Home Depot, we'd be finished this project, or pretty close to it. Uh, it takes a lot of time to do all those things. It says, be not slothful. You don't need the break that you think. It says, but followers of them who through faith... And patience. Now, why did he have to put that word in there? Faith is easy, amen? That's believing God's word. 
It's easy to say you believe God's word. But patience means that you're waiting and you're going to keep believing God's word until it's done. How many of you... No, I better not ask that question. I was going to say, how many of you consider yourself patient people? But we don't want to promote lying in the church. I've had people come and say, Pastor, you're a patient person. No, I am not. I, I work on it. I pray about it. But, I, but I'll tell you what I, I can do. Not let go. Amen? My mama told me, she said, you're just like a little bulldog. She said, you get a hold of something and you just won't let go. Say, amen. That's a good thing. As long as you got a hold of the right thing. Amen? amen? That's really what this word patient means. By the way, who's holding on? Is it you holding on? Or is it Jesus holding on? You see, Jesus lets us think that we're holding on because he doesn't want us to be slothful. There's some things we need to do, but our strength will not carry us through, but his will. It says, be followers of them. Be followers, and here's who them are, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, Jesus gave a story, a parable, of the wheat and the tares. How many of you remember the story of the wheat and the tares? You cannot tell the difference between wheat and tares or weeds until the wheat begins to produce the fruit. I've heard preachers preach messages, my job is to be the fruit inspector. No, that's God's job. My job is to keep giving forth the word in hopes that all will become wheat and stop being tares. Amen? That's the job of the preacher. I want to remind you, number one, God's not going to forget you. Amen? He made a promise. He said, whosoever shall believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's all you have to do to be saved. And God's not going to forget His children no never, no way. You say, but you don't understand the mess that I got into after I'm saved. You don't understand the mess you were in before you got saved. It's not your works that saved you, it's His. Amen? Then we move to the next point. But you're not just to sit around and wait for things to happen. There's an introspective type of Christianity where you look in yourself and see what's going on in there. Where you've got to get in touch with your feelings and, and every little thing's got to be just right. That type of Christianity's not in the Bible. If you really want to know where it goes and you want to study all the roots out, you go back to Plato. The reality is in the invisible. And so we look for the invisible, which is our feelings. And that's where things are real. Wrong. How many times have your feelings been wrong? Oh, just about most of the time. Feelings are like little children. If you don't give them something to do, they're going to give you something to do. If you don't train them, they're going to run you. I promise you. God's given us this book to train our feelings so that it, they feel the right things. And we follow them that through patience, through faith and patience, 
They've inherited the promises. And then it gives us an incredible example. The story of Abraham. Now this is one of the reasons why in our Sunday school time, I like for us to go through the Bible stories one at a time and just keep doing it. We're on our fourth trip through the Bible as a church. But we've been at it for over 15 years. And by God's grace, when our church has been here for 30 years, I want to be still going through the Bible in our Sunday school time. Every time I read and prepare to teach the lesson, I learn something new. I pray that every time you come to Sunday school that you don't just tune out and say, okay, here we go. Joshua's going into the land of Canaan. I know what pastor's going to say when he comes to the story of Rahab. He says it every time. Please don't tune those things out. It's important. Now see, if you're here for Sunday school and you've been here for years, you know the story of Abraham. He was 75 years old when he entered the land of Canaan. God made a promise to him. He said, I'm going to give you this land. He said, and in your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And he said, I'm going to bless them to bless you and curse them that curse you. Now, I didn't give it in the exact biblical order, but those were the, the great tenets of what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And it says in your Bible that Abraham believed God and God counted it unto him for righteousness. Now, Abraham was 75 years old and he didn't have a child. He would be in his 80s when Sarah would say, you know, God's not keeping his part of the promise. She didn't have an opportunity to read Hebrews chapter 6 or she'd have known better. So I'm going to give you a second wife. Hagar is my property. And, and therefore, if Hagar bears you a son, it would be the same thing as if I bear you a son. We're still reaping the rewards of that one, aren't we? It was when Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. I think God was, his name means God shall laugh. I couldn't imagine a 90-year-old woman having to deal with all of the things that are with childbirth. That, in itself, is one of the greatest jokes in all of history, who said God doesn't have a sense of humor. Amen? But God fulfilled his promise, didn't he? But when Abraham died, a hundred years after God made him the promise, the only thing that he owned in the land of Canaan was a cemetery plot, the cave of Machpelah. That was the only property that was his. You say, well, why do we go through the story of Abraham? Because the writer of Hebrews goes through the story of Abraham and said, listen, if you're going to follow them, that through faith and patience have inherited the promises, I want you to look at Abraham. Abraham was in heaven before he saw the fulfillment of all of these things. He was in heaven over 500 years before the children of Israel even entered Canaan land, let alone conquered it. He saw the armies of Nebuchadnezzar come in 606 B.C. and wipe out and take over that land. Seventy years later, he saw a remnant go back. In 70 A.D., he saw the Roman armies come in and destroy the land of Palestine. And from 70 A.D. until 1948, the Jews did not own one bit of the land of Israel. But they're there today. Abraham inherited the promise. You know why? He just believed 
God and kept believing God. And when people told him that it wasn't going to work, he just believed God. And when Abraham failed and said, God, let me try another way, he repented of that and he said, I'm going to go back and I'm still going to believe God. And God fulfilled his word. Now, that's the most encouraging thing I can tell you today. As I look at what's going on in, my, in this nation in which we live, and it scares me to death. But then again, my inheritance is not here. My treasure is not here. My inheritance is in the New Jerusalem. And my treasure ought to be laid up in heaven. Amen? And the example of Abraham, God made a promise. And you read through here, and, and in verse uh, 17, it says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now, that's one of the strangest stories in the Old Testament is God took Abraham and he said, I want you to take these animals and I want you to cut them in half and I want you to line them up. And so Abraham took a bullock and he took a sheep and he took several other animals and he took some uh, birds and he killed them all. And he took that uh, young bull you know, five, six hundred pound animal, and he cut that thing in half, and he laid half of it here and half of it there. You say, man, that is gory. And what? Well, the oath was made by walking through the divided bodies of those animals. And God made Abraham go to sleep. And God walked through that path. And he confirmed to Abraham that I'm keeping the promises so that you will understand it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon me. Now, we hear this all the time. If you've been here, I don't know any subject I've preached on, alluded to more. Then you've got to trust God. You've got to believe his word. You've got to just obey his word. Verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible, was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made in high priest after the order of Melchizedek. If God said it, can you believe it? I like to make fun of silliness. Years ago, a preacher said, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. In fact, he even wrote a little song about it, put a nice beat to it so everybody could sway back and forth. When God says something, it settles it whether you believe it or not. Could we say amen to that? God does not need your belief to endorse or build up or somehow make his word better than it is. It's already as good as it's going to get. But who benefits? If I believe God's word... I have an anchor for my soul. It's amazing to watch people move and change their ideas. We had a president that just said, I'm going to have to give up and suspend free market principles to save the free market. That's what President Bush said just months before he went out of office. That's not possible. When you give up freedom, the only thing that you have left is slavery. And that's why we have the failure of our economy. And it's going to continue to fail 
as long as we begin to take away freedoms and keep doing this thing. It's just inevitable. We have Christians. I heard a preacher say with my own ears, in fact, his sermon was an entire mockery of the sermon I had just preached. And he said, I want you to understand something. I don't like rock and roll for Jesus, but if I can get up on the platform and bebop for Jesus and somebody gets saved, I'm not apologizing for it. I said, wait a minute. I didn't say that out loud. If somebody can get saved by you going to the world and bringing the world into the church, that's not biblical salvation. A Bible salvation is you coming to God because of who He is and believing that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him and just holding on to that because He's holding on to you. That's where the anchor is. When I was a student in Bible college, I was my first year there toward the end of it, I began to work floor maintenance in a nursing home mopping and buffing and waxing floors and and uh, I was told to go into such and such a room and and polish the floors and so as I was in there uh, one of the ladies that was actually the daughter of the uh, patient there and she began to talk to me and said what's your name and I told her and said, why why are you here in Missouri you don't talk like you're from here and I said no uh, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, but I came to go to Baptist Bible College and studying for the ministry. She said, oh, when you grow up, you won't believe that stuff anymore. And I said, ma'am, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I pray that I'll always believe what I believe today. Now that was 1983. So do the math. I'm too tired to do it right now. That was a long time ago. I believe more today about this book called the Bible than I did back then. I love this book more today. And I am more sure that every word that is in this book is what God wants us to have than I was all those years ago. Praise God, I believed right because it was what the Bible said. But the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I want you to understand how important this book called the Bible is and every word that's in it. I want you to understand how important Bible baptism is after you're saved. Amen? I want you to understand how important the local church is and your involvement in that local church to your spiritual well-being. I want you to understand that faithfully serving the Lord is something you do on a daily basis. It's not complicated. I love the way our missionary put it in Sunday school. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be talented. Be available. It's a great truth, amen? That's what patience is. It's just being there. And being there. And waiting. You see, my soul is anchored because of what this book says. And the greatest example of all is my Savior. He is the only one that has gone through death and returned, never to die again. He's already entered. And he says, I am the high priest. Now, you know what the most wonderful thing about the office of high priest is? That means there's other priests under him. That's where we come in. I've had people say over the years, does the Baptist church have, are you a father? I said, yeah, I got a lot of kids. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, are you like a priest? 
Everybody's a priest at our church that's saved. We have one high priest. Now, here's the thing about being a priest. I have responsibilities to obey the high priest. If I don't fulfill those responsibilities, read the Old Testament. The consequences were dire. The first two that disobeyed the instructions of the high priest were the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Remember what happened to them? They offered strange fire before the Lord. They had the instructions. They were judged. They were judged severely. But listen, God's not going to forget your salvation. But he's not going to bless your life if you're not fulfilling your duties. Now let's just go through this passage very quickly and we're done. Number one, God is not going to forget you. Number two, you're not to be slothful. You don't need a break. You need to follow those who through faith and patience have inherited the promise. The example is Abraham. He inherited the promise, but he was in heaven when he saw the fulfillment of it. That's okay. He still inherited the promise. Amen? God has given his word as an anchor for our soul. Attach your soul to the word of God. And lastly, remember that Jesus is our high priest. He has made us priests. We have responsibility. That's what being slothful is, the, the warning is all about. We follow him. And we're not going to be overwhelmed. And we're not going to quit. We're going to keep living for Jesus till he comes. You say, well, what if I mess up? Uh, we took care of that right at the beginning of the service. Every one of us already did this week. Amen? Your messing up is not your relationship to God. It's Jesus' payment for our sins that's our relationship with God. You walk with him each day till he comes back. Show up. God will work. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would apply these truths to our hearts. Lord, that we would not be overwhelmed, that we would not be as those that would grow weary in well-doing, that we would not faint. Lord, we just ask that you would help us. That you would work in our hearts. And Lord, that we would get out of the way. That we would take these truths. That we would study your word. That we would be anchored. Lord, we ask that during this time of invitation, we would worship you the way we should by the surrender of our lives to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and take our hymn books.